Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast, and I'm so glad you've chosen to listen to this. Over the next several weeks, you will be listening to a series called Stopping Jesus, and this is not intended to be a message where we say, Jesus, we don't want you to do anything, but it's where we say, Jesus, stop, see what we're going through, see where we are, and would you move on our behalf? I hope you enjoy this series. I hope it does something for your life and challenges you to live even more for Jesus. If you'll look with me at Isaiah 66, it'll be on the screen, but if you'd like to take notes in your Bible or whatever, you can turn there. Isaiah 66, we'll be looking at the ESV translation. Isaiah 66, 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? Again, looking at this, interesting that God would ask us, who of you Who can build a house for me? Obviously, the question has an answer that says none of us, right? None of us can do that work. And um, as we look at this, verse 2 says it all very clearly. All these things my hand has made so that these things came to be. And it takes me to Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2. Real quickly, we'll look at that. Then we'll jump back to um, Isaiah Um, The thing that blows my mind about this particular passage of Scripture is God says, who's going to build a house for me? And then he goes and says, I've done it. Whom of you I'm going to ask in this place today is worthy enough? Who can make yourself prepared enough? Who can do good enough works? Who can position or posture yourself so that you can enter into the presence of God or make yourself right? None of us can. And God says, I'm the one that has done that work. Isn't that an awesome thing that he has made it possible? It's grace at its finest, found right here in Isaiah 66. And in Ephesians 2, 8, 1, it says, For grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not a result of works. If it was works, he goes on to say, no one may boast. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. And in verse 10, For we are his workmanship. You realize that he's asking, he's saying, who's going to build a house for me? Are we not the house of God? Do we not house the work, the Holy Spirit himself? Are we not the temples of the Holy Spirit? And he says here, for we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then going back to Isaiah 66, All these things, verse 2, all these things my hand has made so that these things came to be. Isn't that awesome that we are his work? Isn't it awesome that he may be asking who's going to build a house for me and then clearly says, you can't because I'm the one that has already done the work. But the key scripture in all of this, this is the one who I will look. When God says, I'm getting ready to outline the person in whom I'm going to look to, look at, the one who's going to have my attention, or we could say just to keep it in line with this passage of Scripture or this this theme, the one whom I will stop for. Well, it's the one who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. The one who realizes that I can't build it, I can't do it on my own. I need you in every aspect of my life. I need you to do the work. I need you to prepare the way. I need you. And, and, and not only that, but your very presence, I sit and I tremble to hear your voice. Isn't that such a powerful thing right there? And that's where we derive this entire series of stopping Jesus. And then recapping again the, the messages so far. Week one, we started with blind, or I should say seen Bartimaeus. 
I love that. We're going to change who we were. We may be labeled as something when we walk in, but the presence of God changes that level, level, label. I'll get it right here in just a second. That label instantly. And as we looked at Bartimaeus recovering his sight, he asked, or Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And when he stops, he often asks us, what do you want me to do for you? And right here, we understand that with stopping power, Jesus stops, but we also are called to stop for others and demonstrate Jesus. And then in week two, we see a man at the pool of Bethesda, and, and the idea behind that is we, we have Jesus walk in, and oftentimes we make our excuses as why we can't. And the, the idea is there are no more excuses when Jesus stops. And last week, we looked at the unlikely candidate in Lazarus, and we realized none of us is worthy, none of us is the likely candidate to, to do what God wants, but it's in him that we have the power and the anointing to be able to fulfill that which he has called us to do. And in this week, I'm going to address something that oftentimes we deal with in human nature, oftentimes we struggle with because we, we live in a time frame. We have a beginning, we an end, we live by a clock, we have what seems like a definite, definite way in which or a time in which things can and should happen. And so we're going to address this week, does he stop too late? Of course, on the surface or, or right off out the gate, we might say, and, and I can tell you we're going to get there through the message today, he never is late. But sometimes, doesn't it feel like he's late? Doesn't it feel like he's showing up too late? And as we look at this story together, as we, last, I said Lazarus, last week was Zacchaeus. This week is Lazarus. Huh. I'm human. That's, my, that's me being an unlikely candidate. Last week we looked at Zacchaeus, the unlikely candidate. This week we're going to look at Lazarus. And I want us to again look at this, and it's not just another story. Not just a, a nursery rhyme, a tall tale. This is truth. Let us not forget that these things that we look at aren't things that we've grown up hearing as children. And to dismiss them, that there's no new revelation, there's no new insight to glean from it. Sometimes we get lost in what we remember a story to be, that we forget to read it as if it's a brand new story. And as we look at this story in Lazarus, let's remember this is truth. This is an account of, of actual events. This is something that God has demonstrated to live a life or to live, to be alive in us today, to show us some things, some truths about us, about a walk as the body of Christ. So let's look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We're going to look at all 44 verses of this story, 1 through 44. All 44. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and, his, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Let's, let's just step away for a minute from this scripture and let's look at that. If, if, if the author here is going to point out that this man, Lazarus, had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and then points even further to Mary who anointed. Maybe we should look at that story. So let's go ahead and jump to another gospel. Let's look at Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter. Because I want to establish later on, we're going to see where Jesus is confronted by these two sisters and he stops in this moment where we get stopping Jesus. But there's 
It's interesting because we have an exchange between Mary and Martha in John 11 that seemingly seems similar. Almost the exact same words, but an extremely different outcome or or way in which Jesus responds to them. And I want to find out what's the significant difference between Mary and Martha. So looking at Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Luke 10, 38, and it says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Seems pretty legit. Seems like she's doing something good right here. You know, I, I'm the, I, I get kudos maybe if I'm the one that enter, welcomes Jesus into my house. It's pretty good, right? She's getting some accolades right here, it seems like. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teachings. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What is significant here? What is it that Mary has hung at the very feet, the very words of Jesus. Remember when we read in Isaiah 66 that it's the one that trembles at God's word? And now we have here Mary who has chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. There's a connection here to the one that hangs at the very words of Jesus. And as she's sitting there worshiping him, listening to her very words, Martha is struggling with the fact that Mary is not helping at all. Well, Martha is serving, preparing the meal, doing whatever, getting caught up in doing instead of being with Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing, but we've got to realize that when he stops and he's in this very place, sometimes we've got to hang back and quit worrying about the do and start resting in his presence. Hanging out in his presence. Hanging on every word, listening to his word. So in this moment we see there must have been some kind of connection. Some kind of uh, drawing that Mary must have done something to draw something out of Jesus. I said it last week when the sisters ministry was here. Uh, I, nothing against our ma- multitude of people in the room today. But... When there are people here, they draw out of you something. As a, as a preacher, when I'm up here, I will tell you it's a whole lot easier to preach when the chairs are full than when there's eight people in the room. It just, there's a different dynamic. They pull something out. And I can't, I can only imagine Jesus is amazing. He's fully anointed. He is fully God, yet fully man. I'm sure he didn't need the approval of man to be able to preach. But I can only imagine that as Mary in her hunger, sitting at his feet, began to draw something out of Jesus, began to pull something from him that Martha just wasn't doing because of her stuck state of service, feeling like she had to do again instead of be right there with him. So this is the Mary and Martha that Jesus is, uh, or that the John is referencing here who are the sisters of Lazarus who has now been referenced as ill. So jumping back to John 11 and verse 3, it says, So the sisters went to him saying, Lord... He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We need to pay attention to those words, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus in verse 5, he loved Martha and her sister, and he loved Lazarus. So 
When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he was staying two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, his, he, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in, a, in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. I'm going to keep going, but I want to stop on something for just a second. I'm going to come back to that. Remember that verse. I'm going to come back to that verse. Um, when the, the Verse 8. Just remember verse 8. I'm going to come back to that for just in just a minute. I'm going to need your help. Okay? Verse 10. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the night is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he had meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, don't you, just stop, don't you love it when we try to say something and over-spiritualize, people over-spiritualize it around it? Jesus is saying something, the people are like, oh, no, 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 and Jesus is like, no, he's dead. He's dead. That's what I said. He's dead. He may not have said those exact words, but he's dead. Don't over-spiritualize this. Lazarus is dead. Um. Anyway, uh, and verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. We go again. I'm sure we could come up with an awesome spiritual sermon around that line right there, but not today. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb, say, four days. Four days. Now, there's a significance to those four days because in Jewish tradition, it was held that a person's spirit would hang around in the body for at least three days. And then on the fourth day, it would go and it would leave. And there was some, some belief that when Jesus would raise the dead, uh, many of the accounts that he was uh, merely just reviving somebody, not really raising the dead. So this is a significant resurrection because it was believed in the culture that Lazarus' spirit had fully gone. And not only that, but... Um, Medically speaking, there were some chemical changes happening in Lazarus's body. Decomposition was beginning to happen. Um, this was going to become a pretty um, significant thing. Uh, I read here that with the decay, his, excuse the graphicness of this, but I want just to understand the significance of this miracle. His face would, become, would begin to blacken, and he'd already become unrecognizable. Um, pretty significant that he waited four days. Now, verse 18, let's get back to the scripture. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Okay, this is Martha. Pay attention. Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Martha the doer, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Great comforting words. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in, him, in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to continue reading here in just a second, but I, I just rabbit trail for a minute. I was just thinking, 
Um, I listen, I've been listening a lot to Todd White. We've been talking a lot about some of the things that he does and how uh, maybe God's calling us to be a little more compassionate when we're away from these four walls. And, and um, he has this lack of fear when it comes to encountering people. Knives, guns, whatever. And his attitude is, do what you want with me, I'll never die. You can't take my life from me, I'll never die. And I think of that when I look at this scripture here, because Jesus is clearly saying, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What if we have that attitude in going out in a fearless mentality of approaching people with the love of Christ? I'll never die. No one can take my life. You can't take something from me that isn't, isn't yours. Well, okay, okay, so you could come in and take stuff from my house that's not yours. That would be thieving. But you cannot take my life because it's not yours to take. So back to the scripture. She said to him, yes, in verse 27, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. I know this is a lot of reading, but sometimes... Well, all the time. The scripture just does a better job than me. So we'll just keep going with it. When the Jews who were there or who were in or who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Now, just back up real quick. When Martha met Jesus... She approached him and just said, Lord, if you'd been here. Mary falls at his feet. Martha walks up to him and says, Jesus, if you'd been here. Mary falls at his feet. I like to read scripture and find out just some minor nuances or differences between this and that. Where's the differences? What's the significant difference? Mary walks up and in her doing self, now I I don't want to put too much because I don't know Martha that well. I only know a couple of accounts in the Bible. I didn't hang out with her. I can only gather she was pretty dominant. I would gather she was dominant. She walks up. She approaches Jesus the way she is in her personality. Mary walks up to Jesus. She fell at his feet, saying, Lord, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have not, would not have died. Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. They had the exact same thing to say to Jesus. But when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And when he had said, when he, and, sorry, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Completely different response from Jesus, isn't it? Between Martha and Mary. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, come, not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also I'm sorry, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against him. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. Very practical, isn't she? Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, and they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So I want to look just at three observations. Three observations that I'm going to pull from this account of Jesus raising Lazarus. And the first one is trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. A couple things in here that make me think or point to that. First off, in verse 8, that's what I wanted you to help me remember to go back to. You don't have to now. Jesus has let some time go. Lazarus has died. The disciples say to him in verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus said, answered, There are not 12 hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Jesus wasn't concerned about what was about to happen. He was only concerned about the perfect timing in which he was sitting in. He was resting in. He was aware of. He knew exactly what he was doing. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the timing of what he's doing. And even when it seems like circumstances around us have gone beyond the point of no return, that we can't get back to where we feel like it needs to happen, we've got to rest completely in the timing of God. There's total trust in God. That We have to trust it. We have to have faith in him. Even when Lazarus was dead for four days, Jesus was about to do something. Now, I want you to look at Habakkuk with me. Habakkuk. We're going to go old school for just a minute again. Habakkuk 2. I saw this yesterday, and it just blew my mind. Habakkuk 2. Do I have, did I put that up there? Okay. Habakkuk 2. And it says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. And we oftentimes stop right there, which is very significant. We've got to make the vision known. And, and, and I try and make a point to talk about our vision with our equipping, uh, with our, um, hey you, with our, um, our three E's. Engage, encounter, equip. Wow, that just threw me for a second. And, and talking about how we're uh, called to engage back to the heart of God. We're called to encounter Him in a tangible, in a real way. And then together, in this place, you're equipped to go out and help people meet Him in a, in a real way. And, and we make that known, and we've written it out. But look at this, verse 3. For still, the vision... Even though we have a vision, even though we've made it known, even though God's called us to to northeastern Oklahoma, even though God's called us to this place, even though we sit back and we wonder why things aren't advancing any faster than what they're doing right now in this place, we can look back and say, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. God has a time in which he's going to unleash something in this place that what he's called us to do. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. God did not lie when he gave us a vision for this place. It may seem slow. Wait for it. I believe this is a prophetic word for us today. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And we have got to trust the timing of God. Isn't that a word of encouragement for us today? We have got to trust the timing of God. I just, I just blew my mind when I, see, when I saw that. We so many times stop at verse 2, but verse 3 is the real encouragement. 
Amen? So observation one, we've got to trust God's timing. Second observation, God is moved by our worship. God is moved by our worship. Listen, we don't earn a move of God. We don't ready ourselves or we're not made right and then God moves, God moves, and we're made right. We saw that clearly through Lazarus when Jesus walked up and said, Lazarus, come down. And after Lazarus had an encounter, you see, when, when Lazarus was seeking to know who Jesus was, that's exactly what happened. It says, Lazarus was looking to see who this Jesus was. He couldn't see who he was in, because of a, an account of the crowd. He climbed a tree. Jesus walked up to him. He said, Lazarus, come down. I've got to go to your house. When Jesus and Lazarus engaged with each other in the house, at that moment, Lazarus refers to Jesus as Lord. Lazarus didn't know him as Lord. He's encountered Jesus. Now he knows him as Lord. You see, when we are seeking after Jesus, when we worship him, then he moves, then he's able to reveal himself, then we get a revelation of who he is. It's not, he doesn't, we don't get right, and then he moves, he moves, and then we're made right. You see the time frame? Do you see the the way in which that happens? And we saw that in, in verses 33 of our main text today, 33 through 35, even in the encounter between Mary and Jesus, because Mary ran up to Jesus and when, and she fell at his feet. And in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. I just wonder, Jesus didn't weep because of the loss of Lazarus. I believe Jesus wept in compassion for the pain in which Mary and these people were going through. I believe Jesus was moved by the people and their expression and concern towards him, by their desire for him, by their a way in which they approached Jesus. I could come to Jesus and say, hey, why didn't you move? Or I can come and say, Jesus, why didn't you move? And it's got such a great, lasting, and different approach before him. And it causes him to move when we approach him in worship. And my third and last observation won't be long-winded today at all. Maybe. With belief, we will see his glory. And I believe these work in this order. When, when he's moved in our worship, we are now have a, an opportunity to have a revelation of who he is. Then we believe who he is, and then we see his glory. See, we enter in and worship. He is moved, or he demonstrates. We believe, and then we see his glory. With belief, we will see his glory. Verse 40, Jesus said to Mary... No, actually he said this to Martha. Did I not tell you that if you believed? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Look with me at Exodus 33. This is extra. This is, this is free. You don't have to give extra for this one today. Exodus 33. We looked at this 
You see, when, when the disciples were in the boat after feeding the thousands twice, Jesus had sent them to the other side and he went up to the mountain to pray. And he overlooked or saw out into the, the uh, sea and saw them struggling with the storm. And he walks on water and Mark's account says that Jesus intended to walk by, revealing that Jesus was actually going to reveal who he was, much like God showed his glory in Exodus 33 to Moses. I want you to see this exchange between Moses and God in verse 12 of Exodus 33. It says, Moses said to the Lord, see you Say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you say, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I'm going to continue reading, but I want you to, to just show you something in here. You realize that the mere fact of a conversational exchange between Moses and God happening here has a tremendous direction or pointing to the fact that Moses believed. See, Moses wouldn't have gone back up the mountain. Moses wouldn't be in this exchange with God if there was doubt. It's pretty easy to believe, though, because Moses, if I were in Moses' shoes, I think I would have a a strong belief in who God is if I was just exchanging with him like this. I would love to be in a position where I had this exchange with God. Now, now I, I can go in my office or wherever, and I can sit down, and I can have an exchange with God where it seems like I'm talking and he's talking back, but it's never an audible exchange, right? It's kind of a still, small voice for me. For me. You may get an audible exchange. I don't get an audible exchange. I'm praying one of these days, maybe I'll have an audible encounter with God where I talk and he talks back, and it's just like I talk and I, my dad and, and I talk and I talk back, which I'm generally talking back when my dad's talking to me, and not because we're exchanging, but I'm literally talking back to my dad because that's just how I roll. But it's, it's funny because Vanessa always knows when I'm talking to you for some reason on the phone. She's like, you must have been talking to your dad. I don't know if there's a tone issue on my end or whatever, but... In this exchange, we see God and Moses having an encounter. They're talking back and forth. And and there's definitely a strong level of belief taking place here. And at 13, it says, Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. We read that, so we'll jump back down to 14. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Wow. Wow, what a... What a strong thing to say to God. I, 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 I hesitate in my walk to put any kind of um, stipulation on God. Moses said, if you don't go with me, if I don't have your presence, I'm not going to go from here. That could be very difficult or very dangerous to do at times. But he says, for now shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we will be distinct or that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of this earth. You know, that's, that's pretty significant there too. And, and it goes back to, believe it or not, I could point that scripture to why we tithe. Because 
I love how with tithe, it wasn't that when we give to God 10% and we're left with 90, that he's asking us to live with less. He's wanting to show to the world that he loves and favors his people so much that when we give him 10%, giving us 90%, that he can do so much more with us and in that, demonstrating his goodness in our favor within him. But anyway, moving right on. Where did I leave off? Oh, right here, 16. Four. How shall it be known that I have favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not in your going with us that we are so distinct, I and your people from every other nation on the face of the earth. 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this thing that you have spoken, I will do for you. You have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Woo. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make you I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand. Until I have passed by, then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You see, it's in that moment, in belief. I don't think Moses would have asked God to show him his glory if he didn't believe that God would have demonstrated his glory. I don't believe that the disciples would have seen discovered who Jesus was if they didn't believe. And in this room today, I believe that he really is interested in demonstrating and showing us his glory, but it comes from this, trusting his timing, sitting in a place of worship, and then believing that we will see his glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for talking to us, speaking with us in this place today. Lord, I thank you for this series. Lord, I, I really am challenged by it. I'm finding some great truths in it. Lord, I pray for those that are on our podcast and on our live stream. Lord, I pray that they would see your goodness. Lord, I pray they would trust in your timing. Lord, they would see you move through their worship. They would see your glory because of their belief. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen and amen. <laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com and click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.